Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective. Made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Real Talk. I'm your host, Anna Pajajski, and this episode I talk to Ellie Doney. Ellie is a materials enthusiast, artist and researcher at the Slade School of Art and the Institute of Making. Here we talk about sugar, and so I started by asking Ellie how she became an expert in this most delicious of materials. I guess I'm just a total materials enthusiast, um, so I've always just been into what stuff does and how, how it behaves when you do things to it so um art school was the first really good route into that but I studied materials so I studied wood metal plastics ceramics and glass which is very sugary and then I went to work at the institute of making because I found a whole bunch of people who were as excited about stuff as me um and then I have well well, I wanted to talk about materials through food because that's how we all know about materials through our bodies so um i started doing a phd at the slade school of art and it's so um it's research by doing and by eating i don't know how i managed to swing that but it's good (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah and this this year i've been asked to do a project all about sugar and it's one of those massive substances that goes all throughout the world all throughout history and it's got lots and lots of different elements which is slightly bamboozling, but also very exciting. It's a kind of, it's a loaded matter, yeah. Okay, so you're going to be running three workshops on the topic of sugar. Yeah, because I sort of want to be able to think about it through using it and processing it and experiencing it. So I've got three workshops. One's at the Manchester Museum. That's about sugar creation. So what is it? Where does it come from? How was it made? How is it made now? And it's all going to be making stuff. And then the second one is sugar transformation. So what does it do? What can you make it do? What do we, what does it do in us? That's hopefully going to have a bit of a pharmaceutical, I want to make lozenges. And then the third one is going to be sugar imagination. So culturally, what is it? And I'm working with a really interesting museum called Museum And, who are a museum of Caribbean culture in the UK. And they are doing research also into recipes uh, mostly from women who are in the UK 
who were born in Caribbean islands and they're going to bring all their sweet recipes and we're going to do a bit of a cook-off. Awesome. So, yeah, excited about that. So that's how you research food. So it's practice research. It's difficult. People And everybody does it a different way. But it's research through doing and noticing and then figuring out what you've noticed. And it's not necessarily the type of research that is quantifiable, but it's a different way of exploring things through your senses and through making things, you know, culturally. Cool. So the topic of this podcast is sugar. And you've bought a whole box of sugary treats for us to have a look at. Yeah, well, it can't be material talk without (laughs) material getting involved. Exactly. Tasting. (laughs) Yeah. So what have I got? I've got sugar in lots of different forms. Here we are. I've got your basic sugar crystal here. So it's a single crystal sugar. Oh my gosh, a single crystal of sugar that's about a centimetre across. Yeah, and so that is when sugar crystals get really big or allowed to get really big, that's the shape they are. And so they're really almost like a a little tablet with sort of bevelled edges. Yeah, so the shape of a crystal can give us a clue as to the different ways that the atoms coordinate at like the very smallest level. Mm. So... For example, a crystal that is completely a cube indicates that all of the atoms line up in a kind of square or cube configuration. Hello, this is Anna from the future. Compared to a cubic crystal structure which gives rise to cube-shaped crystals like salt, for example, sugar is this sort of parallelogrammy shape because its crystal structure is not cubic but instead monoclinic. Great chat, guys. When you put it in your mouth... It reveals the inside and it just looks like a piece of quartz. It's beautiful. Yeah, it does. It's completely see-through. Well, what's nice about looking at it like this is then you look at something like this piece of sugar cane. This is dried sugar cane. Mm, Okay. You get that amazing diamond from this, which is basically an old stick. Yeah, it looks like a piece of bamboo. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a big, oversized grass, basically. Can I take a munch? Yeah, chew it. Oh, it does taste sweet. It is sweet. So out of a stick that the, of this long, which is like, what, 20 centimetres long or something, how much sugar could you get out of that? Oh, that's a good question because not... When sugar is made, it sort of... It ends up being made into two stuffs. Okay. Because you basically juice the cane, boil down that juice, and then you add other stuff so to sort of... To change it. So I think you add lime and chalk, calcium oh, carbonate. okay. And then the whole lot is boiled down into this sort of molasses, basically, a very dark, rich sugar mix. And then it's crystal seeded. Ah. So if you chuck that in, if you, you know, a little tiny sugar crystal, then the whole thing would crystallise. But not the whole thing crystallises, I guess. So then, then half of it's this crystal sludge, the rest of it's molasses, and you've got to spin out the sugar. And what does that involve? Centrifuge. <gasps> okay. And then there's various ways in which it gets purified to make white sugar okay, rather than raw sugar. And I think they use activated carbon. Oh, okay. Or bone char. Mm. Mm, sorry, vegans. <laughs> and <laughs> so there's a lot of other materials used in its making. Yeah. Um, but then there's also sugar beet. So um, I guess, well, sugar is stored energy from the sun in plants. And so... It's in loads of plants, but there's only a couple, the sugar beet and the sugar cane, that are capable of making this really refined sugar that you can oh, get this okay. granulated sugar out of. I'm trying to remember my sugar history here. I think it was 
I think it was native to Papua New Guinea or somewhere in that area. Mm -hmm. And then it was sort of travelled across the world, across the Middle East when all the different empires were moving around. And then the first place it was crystallised was India. Okay. And that's where the word sugar comes from. I think it's Sanskrit and then it, it means grit. Oh, okay. Or gravel. Cool. And then it went, then it, it travelled across the sort of various empires, Arab world, to the Mediterranean. The Portuguese and the Spanish started cultivating it. And then because they were, they had gone over to the Americas, then they realised that this was a really sort of fruitful place to plant it. And so then they basically ramped up the existing slave trade yeah. to grow tons of it. Mm -hmm. And this was sugar cane? This is cane, yeah. Yeah, as a result of that, then the, you know, every, everybody who had a stake in that area, like the British and the uh, Dutch, ended up making huge sugar, sugar plantations, which were, it was all made by enslaved Africans mainly, mm. um, which just created huge power and wealth for Europe. And okay. so that was what sort of kick-started this with a massive wealth of empire, particularly the UK. But then they, but then the then, so it was very political. So then the UK put sort of tariffs on things so that the, so that France couldn't sell their sugar okay. to them. And so Napoleon started cultivating sugar beet, oh. and that's why sugar beet then took off. So sugar beet is this massive turnip-looking thing. Okay, like it's like a disgusting oversized parsnip. Um, and it's really, but it's really sweet, right? So it's properly really stores the sugar in there, and that's what we mainly grow in the UK. Okay, I didn't even realise that we grew sugar in the UK. Yeah. So once we started growing sugar in Europe, then did that mean that we didn't any longer need to be importing it from overseas? No, not at all. Because once the slave trade was abolished. They basically still carried it on under another name with sort of workers who sort of didn't have any rights and weren't paid hardly anything. So okay. for for the trade, it's still unbelievably cheap labour. Yeah. Which I just think it's amazing. Sugar is this incredible, you know, substance. It's a and it's addictive, and everyone wants it so much. And still, like, desire for it is growing and growing and growing. You're eating more and more. Mm. Um, but it's so cheap. But it's falsely cheap. Yeah, it's falsely cheap because because it's it's sort of unfair labour, right? Okay. <laughs> you know, it's not the true price isn't reflected. But I don't know what I don't know whether that's true about sugar beet now. Okay, so you mentioned that we have all of these big machines like centrifuges in the sugar factories that are separating the crystals from the molasses, but they can't have used centrifuges right in the beginning. Like, how did they make sugar? No, they... In the beginning. Yeah, so once they got it to there, they still did the sugar boiling. They crushed the cane, they boiled the juice, and they've still got this, like, amazing sort of thick, rich, crystalline slush. And so then they did, then they... So they would mould it to make these sugar loaves. We heard of a sugar loaf. What? Sugar loaf, like sugar loaf mountain. It's like a big sort of... Sort of bullet boob... <laughs> you know, sort of kind of tall, round shape. Yeah. yeah, so that is named after the original sugar loaves. So they would make terracotta clay moulds that with this shape, like a big bullet, um, with a hole at the bottom, and they would hang. They would absolutely pack it with all this sugar slush, and all the molasses would drip out of the bottom, mm. and the crystalline sugar would settle into the mould, and then they would have various ways of refining it. So this would be brown sugar 
packed together in this big sort of bullet form. Mm -hmm. And then, then there was this kind of interesting process called claying, where you'd get wet, sludgy clay and you would smooth it on to the top of the mould and the sugar, sugar loves water, right? Mm. So it just pulls all the water out and it sort of goes right through it and, and drains out the bottom again, taking some of the fibre, sort of vitamins, all the molasses and all of the brown stuff out mm. of the bottom and so it gets whiter and whiter the more you do that. Wow. Um, and, yeah, then they sold it to Europe. So that was the form everybody knew sugar in first. They'd have a sugar loaf, it'd be expensive and it'd no be way. precious and you'd have it in a little box. And they had sugar nippers, which were like big tongs which you'd break off a bit. No um, way. Yeah, so it would be like a sort of a nice sculptural object, a big a loaf. Cool. But weirdly, the brown white thing, because Europe would get the white sugar because it was, you know, more refined. Okay. But sort of... Conversely, now people want the brown sugar because it's sort of tastier. It's had um, so raw sugar would still have vitamins and minerals, and it would have be have this more caramelized taste. Mm -hmm. But actually, brown sugar now I've got some here. Brown sugar now is not raw sugar; it's white sugar with some molasses added back in. Oh, so it's completely refined, and then they add it exactly. Back in. So they add it in just to change the taste. Ah, okay. But it doesn't just it doesn't just change the taste, it changes the um behavior as well. So if because sugars loves water, like it's hygroscopic, mm -hmm. in baking it keeps cakes moist. Ah, okay. So it so it will encourage the water to stay in so you get a squidgy banana bread or whatever if you use the brown sugar. Oh right, yeah. okay, interesting. Mm. It smells really good as well. No. Oh yeah. That's really flavoursome. Mm. Oh my gosh, what this, is that? This is actually just a jar of molasses. So I think the difference between molasses and something like treacle, which we would have, or, or syrup, is that this really is the stuff that comes off oh the my sugar God. refining process. It's almost completely black. Yeah. It's really, really, really dark brown. Super dark brown, beautiful. Okay. Oh, it's like sour. It's sour, it's bitter. It's still got all of those sort of... Burnt, you know, condensed notes in that have still come from the grass. You know, yeah, still very much more sort of vegetably. You can definitely like taste the the flavors of sugar, like the flavors of flavors of brown sugar. You can definitely taste that in here, but it's like times a thousand. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. wow. Yeah, it's vegetably. It's mm. got a sort of a stock thing going on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So sugar was. Before it was sort of popularised as just a confection or something that people would just eat for pleasure, it was medicinal. So people would, you know, have it as a medicine and then later on it became a sort of a way in which to disguise bitter flavours right. in medicine. So, you know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down mm -hmm. and you get you know, cough drops or whatever. Right. Um, and so it was always sort of something that you would do as a sort of a comfort food or something to make you feel better or something like that. It had a sort of a function. Mm -hmm. But I guess sweeties are so ubiquitous now. People just eat them because they can. Because <laughs> it feels nice. Not, it feels nice, yeah. <laughs> just keep doing it, which is... Yeah. Yeah. But I found these the other day. I don't know whether you've seen these before, but a strange mixture of sweeties and uh, functional foods. These are tan gummies. Oh, yeah, you brought these into the <laughs> office the other day. Yeah, so they're like gummy bears... Yeah. That give you a tan. That's so weird. What 
is in them. What's in them, I know. So I think there's sort of beta carotene oh, or yeah. some something that orange, basically, that makes white people go orange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's such an odd... Beta carotene. Thing, like, now you, there are. It's, it's gone back to medicinal or, like, functional Pseudo-medicinal. Species. Yeah. <laughs> Can I smell it? Oh, they smell really nice. Yeah, eat one. Okay. So they're full of sugar, right? Mm. But we've got these sugar-free gummies. Oh, okay. Try these gummy Thank bears. Thank you. Oh, they just taste like normal gummy bears. Right, so they've got maltitol. So that's a sort of an, uh, uh, what do you call it, synthetic sugar. Mm-hmm. So it's not directly from a cane. It would be sort of extracted from other stuff. Yeah. So that's a whole other genre of sugars. Because I guess when you get back to it, sugar is carbohydrate and it's so, yeah. so it's carbon and hydrogen and oxygen mm-hmm. and but there are other sort of molecules that sort of have similarities to sugar but aren't actually sugar so they might taste sweet okay but they're not actually energy and these are like like calorie free sweeteners calorie free sweeteners and, yeah. or, or sugar alcohols which are sweet but let me there's another, oh, okay. another thing for you to taste here hold on okay try this one this is <gasps> xylitol oh so this is a sugar alcohol. Uh, it's made from birch wood. Oh, okay. I mean, it just looks exactly like sugar. Yep. Teeny tiny little white grains. How much of it do I need? Well, oh, just, yeah, have a nice little taste. It's giving me the impression of sweetness, but absolutely no flavour. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Really weird. And it's cold on your tongue. Yes, it is cold. That was going to be my next... I guess that's when it's melting, right? Yeah, and it's taking all the energy away from your... Heat energy away from your tongue. But it's got that kind of weird thing where it's sweet and mm. it's not bitter like some of the other horrible sweeteners, nope. but there's something about it that doesn't make you want to eat lots more of it. No, I was just going to say that. Like <laughs> this, this doesn't have like a, a dopamine kick. Yeah, <laughs> it's like when you have a like um alcohol-free lager or something like that. You're yeah. like, this is fine, you know. Oh, this is fine. I could get used to this, and then you're like, I don't want another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay, so this has been made by a scientist, I guess. Yeah, xylitol. I, well, I, actually, I don't know how that's made, but it is still made from plants. Okay, so it, it does have to be sort of extracted, yeah, and crystallized from some sort of plant. But it's not a, it's not sugar. It's a sugar alcohol. But it's still one hundred percent carbohydrate. Yes, and it's forty percent of the calories. So there are calories. Okay, whereas something like sucralose. Thank you. Like tea sweetener. This is a little sweetener tablet. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I'm getting the impression of sweetness. Yeah, but it's a quite full on, isn't it? It's very full on. And again, like it just doesn't make you feel. I don't feel happy eating. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. However, maybe it's the vessel that it is given to me in. Because like, yeah, it's true. Try this. Oh no! Now it's all dissolved. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be sick after this. <laughs> Oh, sorry. It's um, okay. So <laughs> try that. This this is calorie free. Oh. This is zero calories. That's not fun. No, it's um, stevia. Again, it looks exactly the same as sugar. Yeah. Oh, I see. You've taken a very small amount there. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Super sweet, isn't it? So sweet. So that is doesn't have any calories. It's just a, they call it the they you know it was called the sweet herb. Oh. So it's a leaf. But it's natural sweetness, you know, like um, almost like um, uh, licorice or yeah. like something like that. When you eat, when you eat it, 
mm-hmm. or fennel or something. It's got that natural kind of sweetness, yeah. but it's sort of not not sugar sweet. I just feel like with all of these synthetic sweeteners, like you sure like surely there's a bad side to it. Like you can't have something that good for free. Well, I sort of feel like in its natural form, there probably isn't anything wrong with it. You can just go around munching stevia, put it in your food. Mm. But once you once you've extracted something and then you overeat it, anything's going to be a bit bad, isn't it? Okay, it's not really. Yeah, your body's not made to process it. Something's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, even with sugar, I mean, it's sure it's fine to have sugar, but. If you start having loads of sugar, your body's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, this is true. Can't keep up. My body's actually like, please, more sugar <laughs> all the time. <laughs> That's so true. It's such a weird substance because it's sort, of, it's sort of, yeah, listen to your body. My body's saying I want more biscuits. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What does sugar actually do to your brain? There's a, a sort of a sugar high, sugar crash, isn't there? So I guess it's sort of, I mean, your brain uses up most of your energy, doesn't mm. it? It takes a whole lot of energy to run a brain. Yeah. So if, you're, if you have sugar, it must sort of really kickstart all those processes. Mm-hmm. And then get used up fairly quickly because it's a not uh, it's not a slow release. It's got a high uh, glycemic index, yeah. So it doesn't slow release. So it hits you all at once, mm-hmm. and then it leaves you with a kind of dip and okay. a deficit. So I guess your brain just goes lost energy, <laughs> not making the connections. <laughs> Need another biscuit. Yeah, yeah. I don't think my brain uses a whole biscuit's worth of energy in between me reaching back into the packet and getting another biscuit. <laughs> well, you're an interesting one because you're probably quite aware of how sugar affects your body because of your long-distance swimming. This is very true, yeah. Like, at the beginning of my swimming career, I didn't really know that you kind of needed to continually fuel while you were swimming, like, long, long distances. Mm. And so I've, I had a few horrible occasions where I, like... Basically, I think what happened was that after about five hours, you stop burning all of your stored sugars and you start to burn fat... And that's the switch, like the sugar to fat switch is the switch that a lot of marathon runners hit when you hear about them hitting the wall. Yeah. Like something in that switch 
between burning sugar and fat affects your brain. I don't know what it's doing, but like you... Well, you're maybe just starting, you're digesting yourself, aren't you, really? Yeah, you're, like yeah. it must be a stress your response. Body, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which sounds fun. So yeah, I've recently, well, within the last two years, I've learned that when you're doing long, long endurance anything, you need to be trying to delay that onset of fat burning as long as possible. Mm. There is recently a school of thought that actually you can either do it that way and try and eat sugars and slow burning carbohydrates for extended periods of time or you can hmm? mini rolls mini rolls for example (laughs) or you can try and embrace the fat burning early on and now there's a school of thought that lots of athletes actually are trying to promote this fat burning and so they'll have a different kind of intake that promotes burning fat and these people don't hit the wall because they Ah, are doing there's no switch there's no switch exactly so would you like Stock up on the fat before a long distance swim, then, because that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> I have never tried that trying to do the fat burning thing because I really like eating like cake and biscuits yeah. <laughs> during swim. Because that was the thing that we talked about. Because for because for this project as well, I'm interviewing lots of people who have different relationships with sugar and who see what it does mm-hmm. in the world very differently. And um, when I talked to you about it, it was really interesting that it. Actually, it isn't just like taking in sugar and my body's fine and now I'm going on. There's a massive psychological element to it. And yeah. if I, I want a cake, I actually want comfort food. You know, there, yeah. there's a lot of of the sort of cultural side of sugars. Yeah. It's not just how it makes you feel. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm convinced that like during long, long distance swims, feeding is really only psychological. Because mm. like I said, you're you're trying to delay this onset of the fat burning switch, but... You can never eat 900 calories an hour, which is what you'd be burning every hour on a cold, long-distance swim. It's kind of pointless to try and consume that many calories an hour. So really, all you're doing when you stop every hour, really, the benefit of feeding is just to say hi to your friends, how are you doing? Boy up your mental health. Yeah, and it gives you something to break it up and look forward to. And like we were talking about earlier, like... The the sugar boost of having a little mini roll or like a spoonful of sugar, yeah, is um, very beneficial. Yeah, and I guess that's so. When talking about transformation, which is the second workshop, that's what it does in your body. It transforms mm. to good mood. It transforms to energy. It like it does all these chemical reactions as well. Sugars apparently are really useful in pharmaceuticals as well. So they're the base. Of, this is like me interviewing Mike Sulu, who's a biotechnologist, <laughs> another one of my interviews, and finding out all this stuff that sugar does. Mm. How do you mean in pharmaceuticals? It's like the base. So it's of like a, a ba- it's like a base material. Okay. Um, that you can add other active ingredients to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but there's also, I mean, sugars have different roles in the body besides just being pure energy, mm. apparently. There's another thing for you to taste here, which is glucose. Oh. This is used in desserts quite a lot as well. Um, I'm cheating here because my girlfriend is a pastry chef. <laughs> is this from her? Yeah. So you would put this in a cake? So she would put a bit of that in ice cream because ice cream. it would... It not would, it crystallise. Would, it would not crystallise and it would uh, make it the texture really great without adding too much sweetness. Mm-hmm. It's not sweet at all. It's not really sweet, is it? No. So that's the thing. It's glucose. It doesn't have the sweetness. So, but it but it has the technical abilities of mm, sugars. Okay. So you can add it to food, 
particularly baking products to sort of to add structure and do okay. technical things. Like it but gets it sticky. doesn't get super sweet. That's really interesting. So, I mean, it looks like PVA glue. Yeah. And it sort of tastes a little bit like PVA glue as well. <laughs> <laughs> don't you think? I don't yeah, know. It, for there's, sure. There's but a it, funny syntheticness to it. Yeah, slight bitter edge at the back. Mm. Of course, the other thing that the way sugar transforms, of course, is fermenting. Mm. So yeast is the sugar fungus. Okay. Um, and it loves to eat sugar and turn it into alcohol. <gasps> so someone got me these the other day and they've gone off, the, which these are chunks of sugar cane, fresh sugar cane. Oh, yeah. And you're supposed to eat them, I think, quite a long time before they do this. Whoa. <laughs> they stink. They stink like vinegary. Yeah. So they've got, but it's kind of cidery, isn't it? It is completely cidery, yeah. So they've gone, they've fermented, basically. So there's yeasts have gone to town. Amazing. Them. It smells like a really farmy cider. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's sugars, you know, obviously rum is made of sugar cane. Oh, um, Okay. And, you know, so you can ferment the sugars in plants and quite easily make this other addictive, desirable, <laughs> expensive yeah. thing. Yeah. So, which is, I mean, it's not that expensive actually to make, is it? It's just taxed. Right. So they're yeah. also thinking about putting, doing a sugar tax as well, aren't they? Yes. And is that health driven or is that politically or? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, both Okay. <laughs> I suspect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's easier to explain that it's health driven, but um, sure. There's, you know, I'm, I don't know enough about it. I'm sure there's all sorts of stuff going on. Sugar is big business, mm. massive. And then what with Brexit and tariffs and so on. Yeah. There's, there is lots of reasons why you might want to stop cheap sugar from elsewhere coming into the country. Okay. So what you're saying is that we need to start stockpiling Kit Kats. I'm definitely saying that. They're quite easy to stockpile, aren't they? You could just do Jenga. <laughs> yeah. Your third workshop is called Imagination, and that's all around the cultural aspects of sugar. Um, and while we've been sitting here, I've been looking at this packet of dark, soft, brown sugar. And on the packet, well, the brand is Tate and Lyle, and then above that, it's got one of those, like, crown crests. Yeah. yeah. So Tate and Lyle then is a British sugar company. A British sugar company, but their their wealth and what they were their that what their wealth is built on was the exploitation of slaves in order to make mm -hmm. masses of sugar. Yeah, so it's a really ambivalent material because it's got all of these connotations of sweetness means goodness and yeah, loveliness and childhood and cuteness and femininity and all of this sort of stuff. Yeah. When, but it actually it's got a kind of a dark undercurrent. Mm. Um, but also, like physically, it's it's sweet and you want it, but also you know that it's not very good for you. And it literally, and also it's a you know it's a preservative, mm -hmm. but it also rots your teeth. Yeah, and so it's got all of these sort of strange sort of dualities, which I quite like to think about. Yeah, definitely today, sugar is completely, it seems, vilified. And um, it's almost, I mean, there's so many different wars that have been fought around sugar. I feel like at the moment in Britain, it's kind of a class war mm. as well as a 
health war and a political war. Like there's there's so much fighting around sugar. It's true. And people have so little control about how much sugar they eat, actually, with what, you know, it getting put in processed foods. Yeah. But, yeah, like you say, it's seen as sort of... Uh, food for the poor you know because it's mm. it is in cheaper food yeah because it's more you know more palatable to have processed foods that include sugar but it always was a class thing that i mean when even when it was made in the caribbean the white sugar was for the europeans mm. and the brown sugar even the shape was different so you'd have the sugar loaf for the sort of refined sugar and then you'd have this little sugar Raw sugar, which is actually tastier, you know. But they'd have this, it was a different form. It was a little sort of almost like a mini roll. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that would be a sort of the poor people's sugar and they would get paid in that, so you would even forfeit, you know. No way, it was money. Um, yeah. Whoa. But so often people don't, in situations like that, people who are making it have no, they're not the ones consuming it. Mm, sure. Have no experience of it because it's not, you know, it's not supposed to be for them yeah it's expensive mm. what's a manitol oh now this is also a another sort of synthetic sugar this packet looks like one of those like a protein yeah carbo no builder. it's not actually this is a professional chef's ingredients oh okay thank you manitol it's um it's really interesting to make stuff out of actually because it melts but doesn't caramelize and it doesn't, um, well, it does caramelise eventually, I think, but it doesn't, you can make clear sugar sculptures right. out of it, but it's also not hygroscopic, like it won't take on moisture. Ah, so okay. you can you can use it, you can stick a sugar shard into a cake and leave it for ages, it's not going to like flop over. So this is what they should have used on Bake Off when it was really hot and totally. humid and yeah. all of their sugar. Yeah, but taste it, it's not. Stuff was, um, yeah. also, this is what you would make. Sugar geodes out of. If I think you, you would to use isomalt, which is slightly different than this. I think. Okay. But um, manitol is is a funny, funny stuff. They also use it in pharmaceuticals. Okay. It also does something in the body, particular. Oh, nice. Um, it looks like icing sugar. Oh, tastes like icing sugar, but like on steroids. It's sweeter than icing sugar, is it? It is. I think so. Mm. But yeah, manitol is a drug as well. I think they use it for. Drawing water through membranes. Oh, cool! So I just had a big old spoonful. For... Yep. <laughs> so, so see you later, listeners. It's been great. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the last episode of Real Talk. Um, <laughs> um, usually, I ask guests like if if listeners want to get involved, like making the material or making with it or trying it out. What would you recommend as a fun thing for listeners to do with sugar? Apart from eating loads of biscuits. Well, what I noticed the other day is because I was doing some um, iron casting, like you do, mm -hmm. using sand moulds, and I noticed the similarity when you push an object into sand between that and dark brown sugar. Hmm. So I've been try attempting to use dark brown sugar as a mould-making material. Cool. Which is quite nice. Yeah. So what I've done is, oh, let's hear some. There we go. There's a little walnut that I've made that's beeswax but oh. you could use it you could press something into dark brown sugar yeah pack it round it it has to be like a drop out form so it doesn't so it comes out again without yeah. ruining the um the mold 
And then you could push in some very soft biscuit mix or you could push in some soft fondant icing Mm -hmm. and make little moulds without spending a ton on um, silicon biscuit stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So you can try that. That's cool. Yeah. And then you can eat the mould afterwards. And you can eat the mould afterwards. Or make a cake out of it. (laughs) Or just reuse it and reuse it. Yeah. Hmm. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. I would just play with it. I know you're not supposed to play with your food, but um, there's something so lovely about, especially with this whole sort of slime craze, in just like getting a spoon and dipping it into the golden syrup and watching it pour back in. Yeah. I could do that for hours. (laughs) There's something so satisfying about it and watching the sort of little, the little curls of sugar worms going yeah. back into the material. It's like an M&S advert. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, so delightful. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, if listeners want to keep up with your sugary escapades, can they find you online and read about your research? Yeah. I've got a website, Ellie Doney, D-O-N-E-Y. Nice. Um, so I'll probably put up some news on there and can come and Come and play. That'd be cool. And yeah, you often need sort of volunteers. Yeah, I often do. And I I put up a link there to, well, I've got a general mailing list, but I've also got a mailing list for people who are interested in just thinking about food through playing with it. Mm -hmm. So I I often do workshops and invite people from that list. So yeah, if you're interested in that stuff, join. Yeah, highly recommend. I Was it last Christmas that we did the sausage sessions? the sausage (laughs) sessions. That was a lot of fun, <laughs> making sausages out of the weirdest of ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> to think about spice was to think about, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll be doing that sort of thing. Still got three years left of the PhD, so Woo-hoo. yeah. Could Great. Get, could get crazy. Lots of playing to be done. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thanks for coming on Real Talk. Thanks for having me. Okay, cool. So we're here on location outside of the studio um, because some of our previous experiments in the studio may or may not have been slightly messy. So we've come down to the Institute of Making and I'm with Ellie here and we're going to do a sugar snake experiment. Yes, so this is probably the most fun you can have with sugar, apart from eating it, of course. Um, Fire snakes... Oh, sugar snakes. There are a couple of types of these. If you've ever seen indoor fireworks, uh-huh. you'll know what I mean, where you set fire to the little tablet and there's suddenly a big carbon worm appears. <laughs> is that what this is? So that's what we're going to give it a go. Cool. Okay. So what do you make a sugar snake out of? So sugar snake is basically... So what I've got done here is 40 grams of sugar, granulated normal sugar, mm-hmm. 10 grams of bicarbonate of soda. Yeah just from the supermarket so it's pretty easy to get so I've, what I've got is a ceramic pot here on a heat proof mat and I've got a little bit of fuel this is spirit, bioethanol spirit fuel for um, little lamps um, and the idea is you soak the sand in this tip on a little bit of your sugar mixture mm-hmm. and ignite okay okay should we do, do it? it yeah is it an exothermic reaction? I I guess it is. Like, I, I think the idea is that the... Because you've got your carbohydrate yeah. in the sugar and you've got sodium bicarbonate uh-huh. in, the, in the bicarb. Mm-hmm. Um, there's... The chemicals recombine, I guess, when they combust 
and right. the sodium pulls the well I'm not really sure what happens but it, the carbon gets pushed out by the fuel I guess ah right okay so you just get big blobs of carbon yeah. which is what the snake is yeah so oh, the, okay, that the, makes sense. The the carbon yeah. behind the white sparkling interior is revealed with the sugar. It's quite grotesque, actually. Yeah, it's isn't pretty, it? Uh, <laughs> oh, look at that. Witch's fingers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, there it goes. It's all, like, fluffy. It's bubbling out. <laughs> it's growing in the most disgusting way. <laughs> like, out of the side. It's definitely got some sort of lava like yeah there must be some sort of phobia that involves sugar snakes there's another experiment you can do with sugar and uh, sulfuric acid oh right which is similar but more dramatic i think <gasps> okay cool uh, but didn't have any sulfuric acid lying around is that a similar snake like snake like form but I, <laughs> it's a bit more dramatic i think it can really it, it fits to the size of the container that it's in no way yeah it is a sort of strange depiction of the carbon inside sugar, isn't it? It like, is. Because it's the opposite of sugar. It's black, grotesque, like twisted, scary lump. Yeah, and not crystalline, you know, it's got this sort of yeah. sort of Oh now it's growing glassiness up. to it. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. We've got a big That's tree. Really <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's getting faster now. Oh, it really is a creature rising from the flames. <laughs> it's sort of curved over the edge. It's making its bid for freedom. They should put this on all, like, health adverts. Yeah. Like, this is what you're <laughs> this eating. This what happens in your body. <laughs> yeah. So from a pile of sugar that was about the size of... It's like two teaspoons. Yeah, two sugar. teaspoons. We've got a snake that's about... 20 centimetres long? Yeah. Growing. And growing. It's like, you know, when people grow their nails really long and they get really <laughs> grotesque. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Oh, it stopped. Oh, it's, do- it's sort of delicately wobbling. It's wonderful. Can I touch it? Yeah. <gasps> it's so... Is it light? Light. It's like an aerogel. Oh, wow. It is like a carbony aerogel. <gasps> We've invented a new thing. <laughs> Somebody call NASA. But it's really excitingly sort of... It's got a kind of petrol-like yes. bloom on the outside. And there's silver and goldy colours in there. Yeah, and there's a few, like, rainbowy petrol bits. That is really from the depths it's... of the Earth, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, I, don't, I think I might have gone off my biscuit now. <laughs> <laughs> So that was the fabulous Ellie Doney. Thanks so much to her for coming on the show and do get involved with her research if you can. I can absolutely attest that it is an extremely tasty way to spend your time. This is the last Real Talk episode of the year, but we'll be back in 2019 with much more materials fun. So do please get in contact if you have a material passion that you'd like to share on the podcast. You can do that on Twitter at Real Talk, that's R-I-A-L Talk, or you can email us at realtalkpodcast at gmail.com. So until then, it's goodbye from me, Anna from the present, and goodbye from me, Anna from the future. And we both wish you a very Merry Christmas, if that's your sort of thing, a very Happy New Year, if that's your sort of thing, and either way, we'll see you next year for more Real Talk.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.